Hi, my name is Sam Thiday. I'm an ex-NRL rugby league player who played 29 games for Queensland, over 300 games for my club, the Brisbane Broncos, and 32 games for Australia. He gives it to Thiday. Thiday for the line. Thiday over. Across my whole career, I've had a lot of deep and meaningful conversations with my friends, teammates, and family. But the one conversation I haven't had is the one that's really important. It's the conversation that could literally save a life. It's the conversation around organ donation. In this six-part podcast series, I'm going to be sitting down with people who have received a life-saving organ donation. You don't know when it's going to be yourself or one of your family. Yeah. You know, and it can happen any time. It was intense because, like, at 11 years old, you don't think you're going to plan your own funeral. A surgeon hand-pumped my heart for a whole hour while I got hooked up to the life support machine. I'll also get the chance to sit down and talk to people who have made the decision to donate their loved one's organs to save someone's life. Just think she's such a giving person to be able to help someone else. How does it make you feel that Georgia could help so many people? It makes me feel really proud of her. Through this tragedy, her memory is still... Uh, is still out there living in people and uh, making their lives better. And she would have been happy with that. The idea, as simple as it is, is to have people have that conversation around organ donation. Let's meet today's guest. G'day guys, my name's Aaron Habgood. I am from the warm, sunny Victoria in Ocean Grove. And I've got a couple of young kids, one, two, one, about eight weeks old. And of course, my beautiful wife. Over the last five episodes, you've heard stories of strength and courage. We heard some sad stories, but all of them had hope. And that hope comes from people like you and me, having that conversation around organ donation. To register yourself, head to donatelife.gov.au. The next story I'm excited about, it's a story of Aaron, who had a heart transplant at an early age, and now he's gone on to crush life. So let's jump into his story. You are a heart transplant recipient. Can you talk us through that, mate? How did this all come about? Yes, I am, Sam. I've uh, been gifted a second chance at life, to be honest with you. Uh, Without this heart transplant, I obviously wouldn't be here uh, 14 years ago, or just just shy of 14 years. It'll be 14 years in September. And uh, yeah, it's a little bit of a weird story how mine come about. Uh, Quite traditionally, people who receive heart transplants often have issues leading up to uh, receiving the heart. So what I mean by that, you might have an issue such as myocarditis or along the lines of that. Something actually, a disease with your heart, which can be uh, genetical, uh, could also just be an unlucky thing, which is what happened to me. So my aortic valve, which is one of the main valves to your heart, was actually 78% shut, which I didn't actually know about until uh, I found out that I needed a heart operation. So I was playing footy full steam ahead. I was as fit as a fiddle. My ideal world was to play AFL and I love my cricket, my basketball. I was quite athletic and I was, uh, say, 15 years old and I started to get dizzy spells. And what I mean by that was I'd just be at school sitting there with my mates and all of a sudden... I'd just go all dizzy and pass out and spew everywhere and I'd go home, get taken home. And that happened for about 12 months, give or take. And the the worst part about it was the doctors at the time couldn't work out what was actually happening. Like, so 
because I was so fit and everything, they never actually really checked my heart. So I got checked for brain tumors and along the likes of it, basically me putting it on in the end. And then I actually played a game of footy up in uh, Geelong and I was uh, told to go straight to the Royal Children's afterwards just for a checkup. They wanted to do another checkup for me. on a, It was on a Saturday, funny enough. And we headed up to Royal Children's and then one doctor by the name of Bo thought she heard a murmur in my heart, which you know, is a heart murmur you might have heard of. And they basically could hear that my heart, something was going a bit funny with my heart. So she booked me in for what you call is called an angiogram where they actually go through your groin. And is this is done. inject the ink so they can uh, see it on the screen or is that... Something? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, no, it's a little bit like that. So you can do that through the cardiac MRIs. They do that through the angiogram too. Yeah, 100% they do that. So what their aim was to go through the groin and just basically take a good look at the heart. they got cameras. They can now do valve repairs. They can do valve replacements all through your groin. It's amazing what they can do. But back to that little segment there was when I was actually... When they actually checked it, they worked out that my aortic valve, and hence the aortic stenosis that I spoke about before, is the disease I, or the, the problem I had, it was 78% shut. So I was running with my valve only working at 22%. Where I, So I should have been running 10 meters and collapsing where all my dizziness and everything was happening, bizarrely enough, two, three days after when my heart was actually at its complete rest. So when it was resting is when I was actually having the side effects. It was really, really bizarre. And like I said, that went on for close to 12 months, give or take. And it, it, it got to the stage where no one was believing me. And I'm like, oh God, this is... And it got to the stage where it was just bizarre the way that uh, the way that they found out. And they said to me, basically, do not play another game of footy. Do not do any physical activity. Do not do anything. Basically, shut up shop. We're going to book you in for a valve repair. Cut you down the middle. And we're going to repair that valve and you'll be back doing whatever you could do beforehand. You're going to be doing 10 times better because you're going to have full blood and full function in my heart and everything around my body, my muscles, everything. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm going all right as it is. Like I'm keeping up well and truly with the big boys. Oh, how good is this going to be? I'll be able to really kick some goals here. And this is where things got a little bit interesting. I was um, uh, at the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne. Fantastic facility. Um, amazing place to to be when you're sick and I had a valve repair done and they do this every day of the week Sam they literally day after day they do valve repairs and I was laying there after the valve repair with a hundred percent success rate all they did was open the valve up nothing else no mechanical nothing just my own valve all I did was open it up right you'll be beauty ready to go and then 24 hours later recovering from that I was just in ICU and I was meant to go up to the ward uh, dad was on the way home and I'm one of four boys so I'm the eldest of four boys and uh, dad was on the way back from Melbourne so we live in Ocean Grove which is roughly say an hour and a half as well and mum was sitting next to me in the ICU and we had a delay on my bed something happened upstairs and we had a couple hour delay on my bed lucky enough for me I decided to uh, well this isn't the lucky part but lucky I was where I was when I did this I ended up having a heart attack so I was dead for half an hour I got defibbed eight times and they got me they got me back so mum got dragged out of the room she at the time watched my oxygen levels and if you watch a machine that's plugged in next to you at a hospital you, your stats monitor so in your oxygen and your blood and I was at 100% and mum watched that go from 100 to 90 right down to zero then the ICU nurse at the time was like Aaron cough 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 so I'd cough as to bring because when you cough it produces oxygen through your blood so I was doing that which I don't I don't remember any of this at the time Sam but 
mum got dragged out of the room by another mum at the time that was in ICU with her child and they got me back. I think it was about 15, 20 minutes roughly. They got me back. Oh, sweet. I was sitting back again. Mum come back into the room. They just said, oh, that could have been just a heart monitor panic with all this blood flow and everything's happening. Should be right now. And then me being me, I decided to be an idiot and do another stunt. And I did the same thing, but this time 10 times worse. So I had a severe cardiac arrest and ended up uh, ended up getting cut down the middle. A surgeon hand pumped my heart for a whole hour while I got hooked up to the life support machine, which that took an hour. So overall, about an hour and a half, I had minimal to no blood flow to my brain. Uh, Mum got told I had uh, 98% chance of basically dying. And if I did survive, I had... Uh, 90, it was like 95, 97% chance of having brain damage because I had so much restriction to my, um, so much blood restriction to my brain. And mum said to whatever brain damage was probably there beforehand anyway, cause, <laughs> cause mum, me being sorry. me, <laughs> you got to have a bit of fun with these things, Sammy, at the time to bring a bit of smile to your face. But, uh, it was, uh, yeah, pretty full on for mum and the boys. Like dad, dad obviously rushed back there and someone picked the boys up from the hospital and yeah, it was pretty full on from there, but. Yeah, they gave me seven days to take to this life support machine. I took to it in about five days. Uh, then obviously it was the brain damage thing, which was a big thing. And organ donations, it's a gift. So they don't want to give this gift to someone that's actually, uh, I guess, if I had had any sort of brain damage, you can't, f- I guess, fulfill your life. And they want to give this to someone that can, which I completely understand. And I wouldn't have received that hard if I had had the brain damage, which they thought I was going to have at the time. And mum and dad were preparing for the worst. My aunties and my nan were all trying to actually, like, plan the funeral, basically. Like, that's where we're at. Like, it was no good. They said to mum and dad, well, look, there's no brain damage, and he's taken to the machine. We actually think there's a really good chance of him surviving this. And mum and dad are like, basically, well, crap. And they said, it's not going to be easy, but here we go. Like, this is going to be your road ahead. So me being me, I was pretty strong-minded and uh, fit and strong when I went in, which was another benefit. I was six foot one and 85 kilo at the age of 16. I was quite big and I had to take a heart that was bigger chest chamber because I had a bigger chest for a 16-year-old. So I could take a heart that was a bit older than me and whatnot. And I went on the waiting list and uh, I was on the life support for just shy of three months. Um, I... I we lived in the hospital. I was in, I was in ICU and induced coma for two weeks. Afterwards, on that life support, two or just under it was just under three weeks, but two and a half weeks. Say, uh, they uh, well, I just when I woke up, it was all about recovery. From the minute I woke up, they had me blowing bubbles into a uh, into a milk carton, basically. And you might not sound like that for the average Joe sitting there listening to this right now. It doesn't sound like much, but. When you've had your chest broken and you got no heart, it's pretty hard to blow into a milk carton. So that's where it started. And then trying to even just sit up, Sam, because I was laying down for such a period of time to get my bearings back with my blood pressure. Yeah, I couldn't even, I couldn't even like get basically stable with my eyes. Like every time I got up, I was spinning. So it was a slow process there. And then within three, four weeks, I've got. If you don't believe me, I'll send you photos and videos. I was back on the treadmill walking. And then week after that, I was running on the treadmill. Uh, I ended up losing 18 kilos, but I was running. I was back in the gym, the physio. This was a life support. It was a portable life support. It looked like an air compressor, and I had to have two of them with me at all times. And I had an external pump on the outside of my body, which was my heart. 
Uh, I was lucky enough to take to this machine very, very good, very good. I was lucky there. We ended up living in an apartment in the top of the hospital. So we lived up there, just mum and I, and dad was back here holding the fort with my brothers. But I'll tell you one thing, I don't know how he held the fort. He ended up ripping the deck down at the house and putting it, moving it around the backside of the house. I think it was his way of dealing with a bit of stress. We will come back to Aaron's story shortly, but here's a quick did you know. Did you know that 80% of Australians support organ donation, but only 36% are registered as donors? To register yourself, head to donatelife.gov.au. You were half man, half machine. How yeah, how literally. long of a period of time were you hooked up to this life support system? Three 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 uh, months. I was on this life support machine for, and if that turned off for ten seconds, not even ten seconds, two seconds, I was dead. So just a little example. I was sitting in Seven West, and they were doing a training day on me for nurses and uh, ICU nurses on the machine. So they're constantly training at the hospitals. And this is how quick it happens. I said, so that mum and dad were actually doing the training day with me, and I'll get to why in a second. And they said to me, all right, you've got two machines. Well, not to me, to everyone. You've got two machines. If something happens with this machine, you plug into the next machine. And we're going, we're carrying like four external batteries for these machines. I've got to basically be plugged into a wall at all times. Yeah. And if you're, not, if you're not near a wall, the batteries, keep an eye on it, change batteries over into the machine and then if that didn't work it was actually just like a little hand pump that hooked into the machine and you could actually control your heartbeat just by pushing it in and they actually gave mum how to go at it and a couple of nurses had to go at it and I'm, they offered me they said do you want to have a shot i was like, yeah why not let's have a go so i started hand pumping it and i could feel like go faster go slower because obviously it's your heart beating and i go oh what happens if i stop here that's how I am, Sammy, at things. I stopped pumping and I don't remember the rest of the day. <laughs> I passed out. And the next day when I woke up, I got absolutely blasted from the nurses. But uh, that's how quick I was relying on this heart. So I had a slight flicker in my right side of my heart. The bottom was dead. Nothing going on there. And, um, yeah, that, that was literally pumping my heart. In the end, I managed to come home, watch my footy team, local footy team, playing their under-18s grand final, which was terrific. I come home on the machine. Yeah. Plugged into the scoreboard. We're on batteries for the hour and a half trip to Torquay where we were playing. Got plugged into the scoreboard at the uh, at the Oval. Watched the boys play and then charged me back up and actually ended up staying one night at home. And then two nights later on the Monday, Monday early hours, I think it was about five in the morning, and a lady called Anne, which is the transplant coordinator at Royal Children's at the time, she gave me a call and said, look, Aaron, the phone call you've been waiting for is basically here. Looks like there's a very good chance you'll get your heart today. And I've gone, oh, wait for the next one, Anne. It's bloody five in the morning. Let me sleep. <laughs> but they don't come around that often. So I made sure I got up that day and pretty exciting day. Um, people will go, were you nervous, this and that? No, I wasn't. To tell you the truth, I was, I was ready to go. I'd wanted to get better. I just wanted to go back to a life and seeing other kids in the hospital at the time up with transplants, knowing what they could do. In my head, I've just gone, I can do better. I can get myself to this. I can really push. I was blessed with an absolute cracker. Um, woke up, I think two, three days later and I was straight back into it. Let's get fit, strong here. And I, uh, yeah, sitting here today with a long, long recovery. It was, uh, I'm still not having the best of time at the minute with my heart, but I had no dramas for just over 13 years, not a single drama. Played footy, cricket, surf, got a very good fishing business that I'm blessed to be able to fish around the country and, uh, yeah, lucky enough to sit here with family and kids as well, nice and healthy. 
Another quick stat check. 90% of Australians will say yes to organ donation if their family member is registered. That number halves if you haven't had that conversation about organ and tissue donation. And of course, if you haven't registered, donatelife.gov.au forward slash register. Now, you mentioned just before that uh, this phone call doesn't happen very often. Uh, is yep. that why you're a huge advocate for uh, organ and tissue donation? I'm not one to push anyone into something they don't want to do. Uh, but all I can say is when you pass away, you're, you're going to the ground or whatever, you're going to get cremated or something like that. Why, if you can give someone the opportunity at the age of, I'll use myself as an example, at the age of 16 to get what I've got, I mean, you're it's only going to go to waste. You could literally allow me to live an extra, as, as tragic as it is that someone needs to pass away for this to happen, it, it's it's shocking to, sit, to, to even think like that, like it is. It, it, it's not a nice thing to think about, and I, I'm not often. I don't often think about it, but when we have a discussion like we are now, you go, "Oh crap!" Like the grief that that family is going through for the reward that we're going to gain on that day. It's a horrible feeling, but if it's going to happen, if it happens, then why not look at the positive side of things and actually branch off that? And I've got two beautiful kids. I've got like I've lived a great life. I've got great friends. I've literally lived my life to the max. I'll, love having a beer I love just living a normal life and that's what organ donation does it allows you to have something that you would never have and I know we're discussing hearts right now because that's what I've experienced but there is so many different ways you can donate uh, there's so many different parts of a body that you can donate whether it's your eyes your kidneys like there's so many different things that can actually help and give someone that gift that I've been fortunate enough to receive which is the heart for myself We've uh, tried to encourage as many people as possible to have that conversation around the dinner table, uh, letting family and friends know what your wishes are. Is this a conversation that you've sat down with your wife and, and had? And, and when your kids get a little bit older, is this something that you'll you'll talk to them about as well? Yeah, oh, 100%. Um, right, even right now uh, with Kari and not, I don't want to say this in a bad way, but i got my youngest is Finn, for example. He's two. And it's very hard to come across hearts at such a young age. So a two-year-old, my like I said, he's two now. There's there's people right now. I I don't know for a, I don't actually know this for a fact, but I know that there's children in that hospital right now waiting for a heart. I don't know the person, but there is a kid there waiting for a heart that he's two right now. And if Finn was to get hit by a car outside my house, I would do and and we can't save him via his brain a brain side of things and a person needed his heart i would love to be able to be that person to give them that heart so that child can fulfill a life and live it because if he passes away unconditionally like it's it's as, it's as tragic as it is would be for us that life that that person can gain out of it from a sick kid it is just absolutely tremendous and if you are sitting at home listening right now and I know how hard it is to have this conversation because it is sickening in the stomach to even for me to even say that and the thought of that it hurts. But I know that it's going to go somewhere good and it's going to save another kid. And if you're sitting at home, you don't sit at the table. You're not going to go home tonight, Sammy, and just think about organ donation. So hopefully, by you and I having this conversation and a little bit of social media and 
I, I, I don't, in the AFL, I actually, I don't know Marcus Bontempelli at all, but I seen him during the week. He posted just wearing a beanie and being someone like him as a public figure, just by him posting that, hopefully he triggered one family to have that conversation and signed up for organ donation because you could literally save one, one person can save so many lives in different ways. And I just hope people can have that conversation and someone fortunate enough like myself can enjoy that life. You talk about a life worth uh, living. Uh, you've definitely had a life worth living um, because of the donation that you received at such a young age. Uh, talk us through, uh, you've got your own podcast, uh, fishing podcast, got your own fishing business. Um, you, you're living your best life, aren't you? Yeah, that was a big thing coming out of the transplant for me was uh, I wanted to play footy. That was my go. I wanted to, everyone wants to be in Maybe not in your neck of the world's up in Queensland. You got that silly, silly footy game that you hey, play. Hey, hey. <laughs> but down here, it's always AFL, cricket, and basketball, and that's what I wanted to do. And then after my heart, don't get me wrong, like still played reasonable footy, local footy. I had a great time, and I've gone. Well, what am I going to do when I get older? Things will get tougher. Am I going to be a chippy? Am I going to be able to build a house? Am I going to be an electrician? What am I going to do? And I committed to starting working on a charter boat locally and I got into the fishing game and really committed to it and it it really took off for me which that's another thing I want to say to people if you want to have a crack at something have a crack and really stick to it because I got lucky I will admit but I also worked my butt off to get to where I was fortunate enough now to literally travel around the country fish to, uh, and fish I own a business called Salt Guide uh, with a couple other blokes and fantastic successful business and we basically have an online fishing show that teaches people how to fish subscription based which we go online you jump online you can in your hand you can watch how to tie a hook on for a whiting a snapper a marlin a big tuna huge tuna you can do all that sort of stuff it's all in your hand and we also tell where the fish will be for that week and that's what we've worked hard towards and then i've also got the podcast with uh patty dangerfield uh, who plays for the cats him and I have a uh, radio, I think we've been going six years now, radio podcast that runs 50 weeks of the year on SEN here in Victoria, and it's on all different channels right around the country. I say now, I'm going through a little bit of a tough time with my heart at the moment. Uh, I know this heart's not going to last forever. Hence, I'm going to need another heart. The discussion is literally on the table at the moment. I was actually, before this podcast aired, I was actually at the Alfred this morning sorting some stuff out, and I'm back there next week. I'm going all right. I just had a, a hiccup that's affected me and I, I will have to go on the waiting list at some point and hopefully be gifted enough to receive another heart before I do get too sick. Now you've uh, definitely had some great support uh, over your time. You talked about Paddy Dangerfield there as well, uh, helping you with your stuff away. But uh, uh, mum and dad, um, they've been massive for you, haven't they? Yeah, they are. Yeah, from the minute it all happened, they, they actually annoy you sometimes being too caring as parents do but oh, I remember my first game of footy my old man couldn't even watch me play like after my heart he's like no nah, not watching he just couldn't physically bring himself to one I'm not going through that crap again like as supportive as it was but it's also hard for them to see like if anything happened sure enough a few weeks later he was back watching me but from the minute I got up they knew that I was like you just got to push on you just can't whinge and moan and you just got to life is what it is there's always someone worse off like I survived it I'm I'm going good and I wouldn't be here now going this good without mum and dad because they're the ones that made me take my medication 
I was going to the bloody children's hospital every couple of days, like driving me up and down the highway. I was only 16, up and down, up and back, food on the table. Dad was, mum and dad both couldn't work because dad's at home looking after the boys. Mum's in hospital with me for three months. Like it was the, the sacrifices they got to make just for just for me to be so privileged for this gift. It's uh, you can't thank them enough. I really want to thank everyone who's come onto this podcast to share their stories, their stories of sadness, their stories of hope, and really educating someone like myself. I'm not going to lie, I didn't know a lot coming into this podcast about organ and tissue donation, but through some amazing stories, I know a lot more and am willing to have that tough conversation. Donate Life encourages people to register as an organ and tissue donor and tell their loved ones once they've signed up. It only takes a minute to register and that's 60 seconds that could save someone's life. You just need your Medicare card and a phone. It's that simple. To register yourself, head to donatelife.gov.au forward slash register. If you had a chance to um, speak to the organ donor's family, um, what would you say to them? I'd like to show them that with their heart, what I've done, the life that I've got to live, and thank you is not even enough. That's the word I'm going to use, but you can't. How do you elaborate on that? You don't know what, I'd be lost for words, to tell you the truth. I'm Sam Thaday. Thank you for listening to A Gift Worth Giving.